0: Thanks for being with us this morning. We're, uh, we're continuing through our series, um, calling it Origins. This is like Genesis 1 through 12, and this is truly the beginning of everything. This is, um, yeah, as, as basic as time and space and matter and uh, all of life. It's also the beginning of sin and what is goodness? Who is God? What it, who is man? Uh, what, are, what are we here for? What is our purpose? And uh, the last couple of weeks in this series, we've talked about the first two members of what uh, many people call the, the unholy trinity. You know, we believe in a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the, there's a way to talk about the enemies of God as this unholy trinity, which is uh, Satan and the flesh uh, and the world. And so we, talk, you know, we talked about Satan, we saw him show up in, in his activity in the world and toward people and uh, trying to separate man from God, and that's what he's been doing from the beginning, that's what he is continuing to do, uh, although uh, he is he's certainly on a leash, and he is not uh, more powerful or, or even close to as powerful as our Lord is. Uh, but now because of sin, sin has this, this devastating property that's also this uh, this physical, spiritual property, where now, like we are all in sin because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, uh, they sin. It's something that's in the genes that's passed down to us, and so now we have this this issue that we're all dealing with called the flesh. And in Scripture, uh, the New Testament speaks a lot about the flesh. But the flesh is essentially, um, it's like the the voice of the serpent. It's the voice of the enemy is now internal. Uh, we have something in us now that is broken, and even when we are redeemed, even when we are in Christ, uh, Paul is very clear in his letters talking about the old man versus the new man. The, the new spiritual man that is, is who we truly are in Christ, we still live in these bodies of flesh that are tainted by sin, that are opposed to the things of God. So now, there's even a voice within us that is trying to push us away from God. And today, we kind of get this first picture of the world, uh, and and what, it, what we mean when we say the world in this context is now because we all are dealing with these bodies of flesh, now as, as human culture is being created, uh, there is this complex network and, and webs of relationships and culture and the way things are done and the way we interact with each other that is marked by sin and that is opposed to God and his revealed will. Um, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is referred to as the God of this world. And it says he has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of God. So the world is this whole complex web of relationships and cultures and ways of doing life and business and education in all areas of life that is uh, blinded by the enemy opposed to the things of God. And Jesus says, you're going to find out real quick, if you love me and follow me, uh, that you will be hated by the world. There's this animosity. There's this, at the end of the day, we, we said this a couple weeks ago, there are really two families on earth. There's the seed of the serpent and there's the seed of the woman, uh, the, the people of God versus uh, the people of the flesh, the people who are under the, the slavery of the enemy. And so uh, now today, as we, we talk about um, God's judgment and mercy in the flood uh, we see what has come of this sin at work in the world and so um, in this passage uh, I'm going to ask Abby to where's Abby if Abby if you'll come on up uh, as Abby's coming up, what we're going to see in this passage is both the complete and utter ruin and devastation of sin, like how deep it goes and how pervasive it is, uh, but also God's, uh, his justice and his mercy in light of that sin and, uh, and his provision for his people. So we're uh, Genesis 6, 5 through 22, and then we're going to jump to 7, 11 through 8, 1.
1: These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them from the with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its inside side. Make it with lower second and third decks for behold i will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh and which is the breath of life under heaven everything that is on the earth shall die but i will establish my covenant with you Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Um, Before I pray for us, I just want to address something. You know, as we've been in Genesis, we've, we've been in this part of Scripture that is so, so foundational, but it's also... Uh, really tempting to read this as some kind of fairy tale and to sort of have this question in our minds of, was well, this as real as like other parts of scripture? And just a couple of points on, on this uh, so that we would be wise. Um, in Luke's gospel, Jesus's lineage is traced back to Noah and his genealogy. So um, this is a, a real man. Uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus references the flood as just as much of a historical event as his second coming will be. Um, And he says in that passage um, that there are things, things are gonna go on as they always have until all of a sudden everything forever changes in an instant. And he references just like it did in the days of Noah and the flood. And he says, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many for God will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Father, uh, we, are, we are just so frail. Lord, we are so susceptible to the influence of the world around us and the waters that we swim in, and, and we live in this world. And you prayed in John 17 that you would not, that the Father would not take us out of this world. We are here for your purposes, but that, uh, that he would protect us from the evil one and all of the, the schemes of the enemy. And so, Lord, we, ask, we echo that prayer. We thank you for praying it. We thank you uh, that in advance that that prayer will be answered um, because you've prayed it on our behalf. And so, Father, I pray this morning you would make us wise as we study your word, as we hear your gospel, uh, as we sing your gospel, as we pray it, as we see it in the baptism. Lord, that our hearts would not be hardened towards you, that uh, we would not be unchanged, that you would melt us. Give us, again, hearts of flesh that are so responsive to you, Lord. And, and through your Holy Spirit, would you unblind our eyes, uh, whether it's for the first time or for the millionth time, and would you warm our hearts to you, who, who is our Savior, who is our God, who is full of steadfast love and mercy for his people uh, and is also a God of, of perfect justice. And so, Lord, may we see you rightly and, and not paint you in our image, but will we see you for who you are and would that change um, how we live. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, first in this passage, uh, this passage really sobers us up to the the deep, deep, pervasive uh, devastation of sin. Um, If you notice, I mean, we even chopped out a lot of this passage, but if you go back and you read, um, for Abby's sake, so she didn't have to read all of it, but um, if you go back and read chapters seven, or six and seven in their entirety... There's so much repetition, and uh, one theologian calls this the solemnity of repetition. That this event is so extremely solemn and so extremely um, out of out of the ordinary, and so serious, uh, that, that there is so much repetition both in uh, God's speaking of the pervasiveness and the the absolute ruin of sin and his coming judgment and what his judgment is that he's going to wipe out um, all living things from the face of the earth. It's like if you encounter a really serious situation, like you, you are in some very serious event and you were trying to convey that information of that event to someone else who wasn't there. If you think about how you are in those moments, it's like you find yourself repeating yourself and going back over because you're, you're wanting to capture every little detail and every single moment, and you, you find yourself saying the same thing over and over again. And that's kind of the vibe of this passage, is this is so intense. It is so important. It is so solemn and serious and devastating uh, that there's this repetition throughout. The wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Earth was corrupt in God's sight. The Earth was filled with violence. It's this you know this talk of corruption of sin and and corruption is like the the ruin of everything, but it's the the emphasis or the pinnacle of of the evidence of this corruption is is violence, is physical violence perpetrated from man against man um, and this corruption is. It's, it's complete ruin, it's like if you're a farmer and you plant a crop and you realize that the whole crop has been blighted. It, it all comes up for harvest and it's all worthless. Or, or it's like a, uh, a water spring that you depend on uh, for drinking water and you find that the spring has been polluted and so every bit of water that's gonna come out of that spring is ruined. And that's the picture that we have of sin's work in the world and and the devastation that is brought on by sin it says that god saw the earth and behold pay attention stop and listen to this behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth and then in verse 6 it says that god says he is sorry that he made man so i want to just stop there and ask this question did god make a mistake did God change His mind? Is that what it means when it says that God was sorry that He made man? Um, no, God does not change. Um, what, it, what it means there is that we're talking about God's grief, that this is this, this immense judgment and devastation of the world, both the devastation of sin and the, the justice and God's wrath and justice that came down upon the world because of the full devastation and ruin of sin was not this thing that God was just high and distant and totally disaffected by. It says that he was grieved deeply. He was full of sorrow and pain and grief for the devastation of sin and what that devastation brings to all of creation. And again, we get this, we get this repetition with God's judgment. I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land all of life. God tells Noah that he has determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And this is the playing out of what God says in Genesis chapter 2 when he talks to Adam in the garden. In Genesis two sixteen and 17, he says, um, you, know, you may eat of the tree, any of the trees of the garden, but there is one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of that tree. And the day that you do, you will surely die. So God is declaring uh, the truth of the devastation of sin and what it's going to bring here. And so we want to just stop and say, let us not paint God in our image here in this passage. You know, There's a way in which we can read this passage and we're like, oh man, this is so backwards. This is so, like I cannot believe because of sin God is... is purveying this destruction on all of creation. And there's a way in which that we can get to this place where we see God as this like maniacal, you know, vengeful being who is like, okay, if you're going to disobey me, here's what I'm going to do to you. And that's not who God is. That's who we are. If we're left unchecked, you know, remember, we still live in these bodies of flesh. That's how the world works. That's not who God is. And so as we encounter this passage, um, there, there is still mystery here. But in this mystery, um, what we need to see is that in this judgment, this devastating judgment of the world, because we know who God is, that he is full of mercy and full of steadfast love to his people, and abounding in goodness, abounding in love, let this point us not to the severity of God as much as the severity of sin. That there must have been this thing that sin has done to the world, that has ruined the world. And so God is left with this decision that he does not take lightly to wipe every living thing off the face of the earth. God is being faithful to his word in this passage in both judgment, but also in salvation. Because if you remember Uh, Genesis 3.15, when God is pronouncing the curse on the serpent, he says, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. So we know that the enemy is not going to win. We know that somebody is going to make it through this flood because of God's covenant promise that he made back in Genesis 3. And we know um, that that is Noah. This person is Noah and his family. And we see the concept of the covenant family at work here in this passage, just like we saw in Baker's baptism a second ago. Uh, we see that Noah has found favor, which is grace or acceptance in God's sight. And Noah's described in, in chapter 6, verse 9, as a righteous man. He's blameless in his generation. And what does this mean? Does this mean that Noah was so good and followed the rules so perfectly that he earned something from God? No. no, no. no. What we see here is this, the the biblical definition. There's a couple definitions of righteousness. There's actual righteousness, which which belongs only to God uh, and Jesus, where he is truly flawless and holy in every way possible. And then there's this righteousness that we have. We have that righteousness in Christ. He, his righteousness becomes ours. And now as we walk this earth we have a different kind of righteousness as well. This righteousness uh, that is sort of a, uh, a, what do I want to call it? Like a, uh, an imperfect version of righteousness, which is this, this faith. It's, the scripture talks all about this human righteousness that is by faith. It's that we believe God, that we follow him, that we, we believe that he is real, that we love him, we try to follow him, we, our lives are oriented toward him. And so we see in uh, Hebrews eleven seven it says that Noah was righteous because he believed God. He listened to the word of God and tried to follow it to the best of his ability. Romans 117 says, the righteous shall live by faith. And so that's the picture that we have of Noah is not that he was this perfect man, that God was going to wipe out everyone, but because Noah did something, God saved him. No, God's grace and favor poured out on Noah. We get this picture of, like, in the days of the flood, the world was full of Cain's. And Noah was this one Abel, he and his family, uh, the one person that was still concerned with following God and doing what he said. And so that's who Noah is. He was not perfect. He was not sinless. Uh, but he, he was in this relationship with God by God's grace and his mercy. And we see God's provision for his people, even in judgment, Verses 17 and 18 of chapter 6. God says, Behold, I will bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all flesh. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And the word ark uh, is, is an important one to help us understand what's going on here. Ark does not mean boat. This was not a ship that was made for sailing. This was basically like... Remember the Ark of the Covenant? That's a, it's like a chest. It's like a treasure chest. It is this box, and its sole purpose is to keep the people and the animals in the box alive through God's judgment. So we have this destruction comes and is total, just as God said it would be. In, in chapter seven twenty three, it says he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. They were blotted out from the earth. The deluge of water from above and below, there was no escape. It's this graphic picture of total destruction. It lasted too long, and the waters came up too high for anything that was not in the ark to survive. But Noah and his family entered the ark, and it says this this beautiful phrase, and the Lord shut him in. We get this beautiful picture of God's provision, uh, and we see now why we point to this this ark being a a sign of of our Jesus who comes and covers us with his blood. It says that Noah and his family were shut into this ark and kept safe from the waters of judgment. You know, as as God, as we walk through this passage, God has given all provision for his people to be saved through judgment. He gives Noah this detailed outline of how to build the ark. He gives him the time to build the ark. He gives him the materials to build the ark. You know, there's something, Noah was not running around grabbing two of every kind of animal. There was some way that the Lord was sending these animals and allowing them to be in such a state that they would be on this ark with Noah and his family for the amount of time that they were there. So we see in all of this God's provision, he's providing everything, and he's just asking Noah to believe him and trust him. And and again, we see that faith, like being in relationship with him, and even that faith is a gift. And so Noah is responding to God's leading and God's provision in all ways and his grace and mercy and love in all ways And then we get this last picture of of God and his fatherly provision. It says, and God shut them in and kept them from the storms and kept them from the devastation of the flood. And it's this picture of us being in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, that's what that means, is that just as this ark was battered by the, the waves of God's judgment, our Jesus was battered by the waves of God's judgment on the cross. That all of our sin was being judged, all of God's wrath for our sin was being poured out on our Jesus, and he is facing it down to the death. He is drinking uh, to the deepest depths, he is drinking the cup of God's wrath down to the very bottom. And where are we? We are safe inside him. We are covered by his blood. We are safe in Christ. We never have to face that. And so, even though, like, this, this, This passage of Scripture is so important for us because it it reveals these three things that are also important. We have to be so sober to the devastating effects of sin and the pervasiveness of sin. Sin is not to be trifled with. Sin brings death and destruction everywhere. And so we have to to be sober to that reality of sins working in in the world and in our lives, in our own hearts, and how we can be purveyors of sin. And perpetrators of sin. But the other thing we need to see here is God's provision. If God can destroy all of creation except for one man and His family, um, He can certainly be trusted to carry us through the waters of judgment, safe to our eternal home with Him. And so even though we have to be so sober to sin and its devastation, uh, we don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to have ultimate fear of it because we are in Christ. We are shut in Christ. We are kept safe in him for all time. And there's nothing. You know, I love that verse, and I go back to it all the time. And Jesus says in John's gospel, no one can snatch God's people from my hand. No one. So when we are in Christ, we never have to ultimately fear sin. But one of the things I want to talk about in this passage for us is I'm just, like, doing life uh, in this body of brothers and sisters is um, what this points us to in terms of not just our salvation in Christ, but now our life in Christ. So um, for those of us who are in Christ, uh, it says this, Ephesians 2, 12, and 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, Jesus... You in Christ Jesus, yeah. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we are covered by his blood. And this beautiful song of songs, uh, chapter eight, verse seven, says many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. And brothers and sisters, you are deeply loved by God. And, and all of the floodwaters of God's judgment for all of sin, for all of history, cannot touch you and cannot snatch you out of his hand. And so now we have this picture, you know, just like we do in baptism of, of the way that God works through covenant families is it says that we were all in Adam. Adam was our covenant family head. We were all born in Adam's line. And so we were all dead in sin because of the sin of Adam. And now when we are in Christ, it says that Jesus in scripture, it says that Jesus is the second Adam. So now he is our covenant head. And so if you want to go back to the picture in Genesis 3 of the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, um, that's what we're talking about. We're either in Adam still, in Adam's line, enslaved to sin, or we are now in this new line by faith. Uh, We are in Christ, and he is the covenant head of our family. And we have nothing to fear because we are the people of God who are covered by his blood and by his love. And so now, in Christ... Um, what does this look like for us? What is our relationship with God's judgment and his work in our lives uh, opposing sin? Um, and something I just see, and I, I live this out too, but I see in, in our lives is there's this thing in which we, we treat sin both too frivolously and too seriously at the same time. It's like we, we don't care enough about it. Um, we, we play with it. We toy with it. We think it's no big deal. But at the same time, when we sin or when we, our eyes are finally open to being convicted of sin, then it's like we run away from God. And we act like we're separated from Him either forever or for a very long time. And it's, you know, as somebody uh, once said, it's like we put ourselves in spiritual timeout. We're like, okay, well, and, and we've got in our mind some Math of like, well, I sinned this way, and if I go over to my chart, the sin is this bad, and so I have to stay away from God for five days, <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, so you see what I'm saying here, and like I, I hear this come out in our conversations all the time. But it's like it's it's at the one it's at the same time. Sin is just trivial and no big deal, and it's like this epic thing that separates us from the love of God, and we just really don't have a healthy relationship to how we think about ourselves in Christ as we encounter our own sin. So um, Zechariah 13.1 says this, there will be a fountain opened for the people of God to cleanse them from their sin, and that fountain is our Jesus. In John 7.38, Jesus says this, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Okay, so we have the spirit of Jesus Christ is living in us, and it, it is these rivers of living water. And so the the flood did not completely destroy the earth and like make it disappear. Uh, The destruction that was brought by the flood was also the destruction of purification. It was purifying the earth. And so we see the waters, the living waters of Jesus at work in our hearts, cleansing us and making us new. And so um, as we encounter our sin, um, we don't have to be afraid of God's judgment for our sin because, y'all, that's already been paid for by the blood of our Jesus. We are safe in him. We have been shut in him for all eternity. But here's what we do. This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So our problem is not our sin. (laughs) I mean, it is a problem, but our problem here in relationship to our God is not our sin. It's our lack of repentance. No sin can ever keep us from the love of Jesus, okay? None. You can think of the most heinous thing that you've ever done or ever will do, none of that can keep you from God's love for you in Jesus Christ because his provision for sin was total and complete. But the thing that keeps us from experiencing his love and from living in his love and feeling separated from him is our lack of repentance. And really that's a lack of faith to believe that when I come to God, he's not going to throw me out. I'm his son. You are his son. You're his daughter. If you are in Christ, you belong to him and he is a good father. And what he does when he brings conviction of sin, it is for life. It is not for death. It's not for judgment. It is for our life to free us. You know, it goes back to our vision statement in Midtown West. We are on adventure with Jesus to what? To be set free. That's the first part is we are on this continual adventure with Jesus being set free from our bodies of flesh, from sin, we are being matured, we are being transformed. And that's the work that he is doing in us the, the, the rivers of living water that are purifying us. Um, and, and our part in that is to respond to that with one another in the context of this community, confessing our sins to one another, praying for one another, reminding one another the truth of the gospel, and living in his love. Again, he says, those who come to me, he will never cast out So let us be sober to the seriousness and devastation of sin, but also let us worship our God for his steadfast love for us in Christ. And as we live this life on earth in him, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. So what I want to do now is just take a few minutes just to to pause in this silence and let the Lord bring to mind whatever he needs to bring to mind. And just to... Any, if there's any conviction uh, for us to bring ourselves before him uh, in light of the truth, that we don't have to come in shame and fear, but we come in reverence for the one who has saved us and made us his own and let him deal with our sin, and he will, and he has. Father, I pray for this, uh, this time, Lord. Would you speak to us? Would you speak to every uh, man and woman in this room, and um, through your Holy Spirit speak to us individually as, as we need to hear from you. Father, uh, forgive me, forgive us for treating sin lightly, and uh, treating your provision uh, for our salvation lightly. Lord, forgive us for trying to live independently. Forgive us for chasing other fountains that we think will bring life that only bring death. And Father, as as, um, those who have talked about your church uh, refer to it as a hospital for sinners, I pray that you would make us good, faithful patients. Lord, that we would come boldly to you in the context of your body, uh, believing that uh, we will find, as we confess our sins to one another, that we will find life and grace and mercy and healing and love. And Lord, would you make us all Uh, wise surgeons uh, under you as chief surgeon, Lord, who um, walks with one another uh, in our sin and uh, does not take sin lightly, but also um, can remind of the truth of the gospel and your provision for us that is perfect and complete. Lord, uh, enable our hearts to continue to worship you now in Jesus' name.